Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. We touched on sin, then we touched on sacrifice, then we, tu- then we looked at salvation, and now it's the area of sharing or share. Uh, we call this act of sharing our faith evangelism. Evangelism is the sharing of the good news with other people. And I want you to see that our Lord Jesus was the greatest role model of evangelism. Last week, we studied John chapter 3, and we looked at how Jesus gave the gospel to Nicodemus. Well, this morning, we're going to study John chapter 4, one chapter ahead. And we're going to see how Jesus shared the gospel with the Samaritan woman. And I want you to notice how different these two people were. In John chapter 3, one was a privileged man. In John chapter 4, the other was a marginalized woman. In John chapter 3, one was a beloved teacher of Israel. In John chapter 4, the other was a hated outcast of Samaria. In John chapter 3, one was respected and honored. In John chapter 4, the other was rejected and ignored. In John chapter 3, one was the leader of the community. In John chapter 4, the other was isolated from the community. And what this shows us in John's gospel is that these two chapters uh, express that Jesus wants to reach all people with his gospel. That Jesus wants to reach those that are in high Uh, status and those that are in low, those that are doing well and those that aren't. These two extremes are what Jesus wants to show us uh, he wants to reach. These two extremes and everyone in between. So in John chapter 4, let's look at how our Lord reached this particular person with his gospel. And so if you're taking notes, which I think is a very uh, important and wonderful endeavor to have, is uh, number one, our Lord took every opportunity okay, to evangelize in the realm of everyday life. If you're taking notes, write that down. I'll say it again so it'll give you time to write. Our Lord took every opportunity to evangelize in the realm of everyday life. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, this is an awesome passage 
when you realize that Jesus broke through barriers in order to evangelize this person. He broke three barriers, and we're going to look at that in a second. Uh, Number one, Jesus broke the ethnic barrier. So the passage that we just looked at, he was becoming a very popular rabbi, a Jewish teacher. And the religious leaders were hearing about it. Now, Jesus knew that his time hadn't come to confront them, and so he decided to retreat and move back to Galilee. And in verse 4, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, that's really important to Mark, okay? Now, why is it? Why is that? Because I want you to notice the view of Samaria in Jesus' time. If we could show the map, please. So geographically, if you look at it, Judea is to the south. It's that orange section that we see here, right? And to the north, that yellowish section is Galilee. Now, Jesus had to go from Judea to Galilee. Sandwiched in the middle, the blue section is what we call Samaria. Now, that was the logical way to go. Uh, But instead, um, the Jews would go a different route. Now, no good, self-respecting Jew would ever step foot in Samaria, although that was the logical way to go. Instead, what they would do is they would cross the Jordan River and they would go into the region of uh, Perea. If you look at that green section, then they would go up into that purple section, Decapolis, and then they would cross the Jordan River again, uh, bypassing Samaria altogether. Now, you might ask, why would they do that, right? So from point A to point B is a straight line. That would have been the best way. Why would they go out of their way not to step foot in Samaria? And it's because there was a longstanding hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of a history lesson, but I think it'll help us to understand, okay? Historically, uh, Israel at one time was divided into two kingdoms. It was the northern and the southern kingdoms. In 720 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. They weren't able to conquer the southern kingdom, and uh, if you know your Bible history, you'll know the reason why, but the Assyrians were able to conquer the northern kingdom. And what they did immediately was to take out large majority portion of uh, the Jews from the northern kingdom, and they would exile them. And then what they would do is they would take peoples from the other groups they had conquered around their empire, and they would transplant them into the northern kingdom. Now, it was very ingenious why they did this. It was so they could cool down the empire. They were afraid that uh, a nationalistic uprising could uh, be fomented, that a charismatic leader could, uh, because of the people's uh, you know, desire for their nation and uh, their nationhood and, uh, and specific ethnic people, that they would rise up. And so the Assyrians, fearing that, Uh, meant to put other peoples in there so that they would intermarry with one another and in that way kind of cool down the empire so that there wouldn't be uprisings. Uh, Very ingenious, right? Those conquered peoples then would intermarry with the Jews in that northern kingdom. They would bring their customs, their culture, their religions uh, into those areas. And so the people became very multi-ethnic, very multicultural. Now the southern uh, kingdom, the, the pure Jews, saw this pagan Jewish mix, and they noticed that the northern mix rejected uh, their, their faith and rejected Jerusalem and substituted Mount Gerizim as their focus of worship. 
They also noticed that the northern mix allowed all sorts of pagan rituals and practices and beliefs to mix in with what they already had. And so these pure Jews viewed these mixed Jews, these Samaritans, as idolaters, as evildoers. They were seen as half-breeds. They were called mongrel dogs in regular conversation. They were seen as subhuman. And so Samaria was what they would term a cursed land. Every Jew would understand the curse of Samaria, and so they wouldn't ever step foot there. It was in this context that Jesus had to go to Samaria. God's word tells us that this was the divine opportunity that Jesus was taking to evangelize. You see, Jesus broke the ethnic barrier. Not only that, but Jesus also broke the cultural barrier. Let's uh, continue reading in verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Here, Jesus converses with a woman. Now, you might think, well, what's so strange about that? Well, what we have to do is we have to put our hands on our heads. Can we do that? You guys know what I'm asking you to do, right? And take off your baseball cap, okay? And then put your hand back on your head, and we put on that first century Hebrew yarmulke, right? What are we doing? Or sudra. What are we doing? We're taking off the 21st century understanding that we all come into reading scripture with, and we have to put on the first, under, first century understanding of what they would have understood at the time, okay? Now, this is really important. I want you to notice the view of women in Jesus' time, okay? <clears throat> the first century Hellenistic world. So Rome had conquered the world, but the Greek culture was still the predominant culture across the empire. And the, great, the greatest, he had long since been dead, but the greatest Hellenistic philosopher was Aristotle. And this is what Aristotle says about women. Now, notice, this is not what I say about women, okay? I have to say that. This is Aristotle. This is what he says. <clears throat> a female is a deformed male, okay? The male seed implanted in the female will naturally produce male offspring unless the seed is defective or affected negatively. Now, this is not me. This is Aristotle. What was he saying? Well, naturally, the natural progression is for the seed to become a male unless there's an accident and we get a female, okay? Women were accidents. Women were unimportant. In the day, we've shared this before, there are times when someone would give birth, and if it was a woman or a girl, they would just leave it out in the street to die. Why? Because women were seen as unimportant. And you might say, well, that's the pagan world. I'm sure the Hebrew world, with the light of God's word, would never think this way. Well, in the first century Hebrew world, the rabbis would pray a prayer, and this is what they would pray. Blessed are you, O God, who did not make me, among other things, a woman. Okay? I'm not a rabbi. I'm a pastor, okay? So this is how they thought. There was a saying among the rabbis, it is better for the Torah, God's word, to be burned than to be taught to a woman, okay? Socially, rabbis never uh, talked to women for fear they would lose their reputation. There was a group of Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees that as they would walk around the marketplace, if they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and many times they would bump into different things and they would get bruised or they would get hurt. 
And they would wear that as a badge of honor. At least I didn't look at that woman. There's a saying among the Jewish people, let no man talk to a woman in the street, not even wife or daughter or sister. And it goes on and says, never, never talk to a Samaritan. Who is Jesus speaking to? A woman, a Samaritan woman. The Mishnah said this, that the daughters of the Samaritans are unclean from the cradle and are therefore perpetually ceremonially unclean. Imagine being referred to as perpetually unclean. This is the woman that Jesus was talking to. You see, Jesus broke the cultural barrier. There's a third barrier that Jesus broke, and that was the outcast barrier. Now, it's interesting to note that this woman was from Sychar, and came to Jacob's well at noon, at 12 noon to draw water. Sychar is a half mile from Jacob's well. There were way closer springs to where she lived. And she comes at 12 noon. In a semi-desert culture like California, we know that noon is hot, right? It's a hot part of the day. And it doesn't get better. Well, in a desert culture, we see that 12 noon is the hottest part of the day. The custom of women was to gather in groups either at morning or at dusk in order to get water because that was the coolest part of the day. And it was a time when they could gossip, they could talk, they could socialize. But this woman, why, why, why not her? It's because she was an outcast, because she was shunned and isolated. She was a pariah among the Samaritans. Now, Jesus knows this, yet it doesn't matter to him because these were the very people that he came for. The Bible says that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. I want to ask you this morning, are we like our Lord today? What are the barriers that keep us from sharing the gospel? Is there an ethnic barrier? I've heard people tell me, you know, I'm afraid to go to this particular group and share the gospel with them. I don't understand you know, this particular group, I don't, you know, I, I get scared. I don't know what to say. I'm intimidated. Or maybe it's a cultural barrier. Can I really talk to my coworker about the gospel? I thought we, we, we have to keep, you know, work and social life uh, separate. You know, is that crossing the bounds, right? Or you might say uh, there might be an outcast barrier. And you might say, well, that person will never receive Jesus. That person would never become a Christian. I've already written that person off. You see, we come in contact with all of these barriers in the realm of our everyday lives. And if there's anything that our Lord teaches us, it's that we need to break barriers in order to evangelize. Amen? You know, um, I remember when I learned this truth. I was 20 years old, and I was in college, and I remember that I was so stirred by this truth to break barriers and to share the gospel, that I went off my college campus and I told the Lord, I said, the first person that I meet, I'm going to share the gospel with. I'm going to share the gospel with the first person that I meet. And I wanted to break barriers. And when I left the campus, the first people I meet were these four gangsters. And it was the early 90s, so you knew what a gangster looked like. I mean, they, were, they had those blue bandanas on, they were wearing gangster gear, and I remember seeing them and just feeling my heart sink because of what I told the Lord. And I remember they were playing basketball, but they weren't playing just any basketball. They were playing gangster basketball, okay? And you know what gangster basketball is? One of those guys would go up 
you know, to do a layup, and the rest of them would pound the guy, and he would fall to the ground, and then they would laugh, you know? And it was just a violent thing. And I remember just watching that, thinking, if they do that to their friends, imagine what they would do to me. Lord, I'm going to go find some old people, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. But the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And I remember the Holy Spirit was telling me, hey, you want to break barriers? Here's your chance. And so I remember walking up to them, and I don't know what I said. I know I shared the gospel, right? Gospel was in there. But I remember sharing, and I was scared to death. I was intimidated. They were cursing. Anytime people use the F word too many times, I get scared, right? I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're tough. You're, you're too much F words, right? But they were, you know, they were talking. They were doing all that. But, but I still shared, shared the gospel with them. And to my amazement, all four of them knelt down to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yeah. Now, that's never happened to me since, okay? That's, I mean, I've shared the gospel. Things have gone well, but I've never had that happen. But it was God's way of confirming that he wants us to break barriers. And so we, I've got to ask you, is that something that we're, we're willing to do in sharing the gospel with others? Because Jesus did that. Okay, the second point that we want to look at is our Lord took every effort to persevere in the work of evangelism. Let me say that again as you're taking notes. Our Lord took every effort to persevere in the work of evangelism. It's amazing when you look at how Jesus demonstrates divine love to this woman. And the beauty of this story is that most Christians would have given up on her a long time ago, but not our Lord. Jesus was an expert fisherman. I like to say it this way. Jesus was an expert sport fisherman. Okay? How many of you have gone deep sea fishing before? Would you raise your hand? Okay, good, good. Many of you, okay, JJ's not here, but JJ, you know, is somebody that loves sport fishing. I love doing that. I've caught different fish, bass, cod, of course, mackerel. There's a lot of mackerel out there, yellowtail, halibut. Uh, but I've always wanted to, uh, to, to go for a marlin. I've never caught a marlin before. Maybe someday I'll go to Florida and do that, you know. Uh, but when you hook a marlin, I hear this is true, it takes hours of struggle. It takes hours where you persevere and you work really hard at bringing it in. It's not easy where you just kind of bring it up and, you know, say, hey, here I have it. It just takes a long time. But when you finally bring it in, there's such, uh, 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 such excitement, right? Such exhilaration. And many times what they'll do is they'll stuff it, they'll mount it in their office or wherever uh, because it was so hard to bring in. Well, evangelism is like that. It's great persistence and perseverance in this idea of reaching people. And I want you to notice that Jesus is the ultimate fisher of men. As we look at his dialogue with this woman, he keeps on keeping on reeling her in. And I want you to look at the appeals that Jesus gives. He gives many appeals, and this woman rejects almost every one of them. Let's look. Number one, an appeal to the woman's kindness. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Here Jesus breaks the ice. He asks for a favor. He has no bucket. He's thirsty. And so he is reaching out to this woman. And many times that's what we do, don't we? We appeal to someone's kindness. We get the ball rolling. We break the ice with somebody. But I want you to notice the response of this woman. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The response is defensiveness. And the editorial says, Jews do not associate 
with Samaritans. Have you ever had an appeal backfire? I've had that many times on a college campus where I'll share that I'm a pastor or I'll share that I'm a Christian. And the minute they hear those words, they think, ah, you voted for Trump, didn't you? You're a right-wing Republican. I know who you are. Or man, you're about the Second Amendment. You're a gun guy. You know, you, you, want, you want guns for every person. Or you're homophobic, aren't you? I know, you look like a homophobe, man. You look homophobic. And all we have to say is I'm a Christian and the defenses go up. And you know what? We have to expect that, right? Our Lord doesn't stop because she's defensive. He's an expert sport fisherman. He keeps reeling her in. Now, let's look at the appeal to the woman's curiosity. Let's look in verse 10. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus piques her curiosity by using a rabbinic mashal. That's a veiled saying so that you, you, you say it so that people will you know, get the spiritual meaning behind it. Where, what Jesus was saying is, I know where you can get great water, and he's talking about himself as the living water. Now, verse 11, I want you to see her response. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Her response is sarcasm. Right? This, isn't in it, this isn't an innocent question. It's a verbal hand grenade. It's a loaded question full of controversy. And sometimes when we share the gospel, people will get controversial. They'll get sarcastic. They'll get cynical. They'll say things like, how can you Christians talk to me about love? I've experienced church before. I've uh, been in your services. You guys are all hypocrites. Right? A verbal hand grenade. I want you to remember that this Samaritan responds from the pain and discrimination that she's experienced with Jews. And here a Jew is standing before her, and so she can't help but be sarcastic. You see, our Lord doesn't stop because she's this way. He keeps reeling her in. Okay, let's look at the appeal to the woman's desire. In verse 13, it says, And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And here Jesus takes a material need and he focuses on the spiritual. And our Lord always does this in the Gospels. He starts off where a person can understand and then he goes to the spiritual significance of it. Notice her response, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Her response is misunderstanding. Hey, you have this physical water? Give it to me. I need it. Sometimes um, people won't understand the gospel the first time or the second time or the third time. And sometimes they'll misunderstand what we're trying to say. Do we stop and say, well, this person is not elect and move on? Or do we continue to persistently, passionately, uh, uh, you know, uh, reel this person in and continue uh, in the appeals. We've got to continue. So let's look at the appeal to the woman's conscience, verse 16. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. Here Jesus probes with a personal request. Now he's not requesting it out of ignorance. He knows what he's doing. But we see Jesus, as he knows the facts, 
He, gets, he wants to get a reaction of conviction from this woman. Jesus is drawing her out by getting to her conscience. And I want you to notice her response is misinformation. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Quickly, curtly, she states this. And she's deflecting because she's under conviction, right? Her deep-seated need is for forgiveness, to be clean from sin, and Jesus doesn't stop because she feels uncomfortable. So you see, when we share the gospel, our worldview is colliding with their worldview, right? The worldview of God is colliding with the worldview of man. And many times when that happens, people are going to feel uncomfortable. Do we stop because people feel this way? No. Jesus keeps reeling her in. Verse 18, and Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus commends her for her honesty, but continues to show her her need. It's like he gently holds a mirror up to her face and is saying, this is what you look like. You don't need physical water. You need inner healing. You need to be clean. And I want you to notice the response of this woman. It's really interesting. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, what is she talking about, right? Have you ever read this part and thought, this is so random? Jesus is talking about spiritual water. He's talking about these. And now she's talking about mountains. What is she talking about? Here Jesus is doing something and this woman is doing something. Do you know what she's doing? Her response to her conviction is religion. Her response is she's convicted. Her deep-seated need is to be free from guilt and sin. And so the response to the conviction she's facing is, where can I go for religious guidance and help? Where can I go to get this taken care of? You see, many times when the gospel begins to convict hearts, I've seen this People will say, wow, man, I got to start getting my life right. I got to start attending church. It's been 20 years since I've been at church. Do you know a good church I could go to? Man, I need to start living the right way. I need to serve at a shelter. I need to give to the homeless. I need to start doing something. Do you know where I can go? Do you know what I can do? You see, Jesus patiently overcomes all of her responses and persistently keeps reeling her in until finally, get this, Jesus meets her at her deepest need. And I love this. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the religion that you're following, it's worthless. It's man-made. The real problem is you don't know the true God, and you don't know true worship. You see, it's not religion that will meet your need. Religion can never meet anybody's need. And here Jesus shows her the object of the gospel. Verse 25, and the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
I am he. I want you to notice that Jesus is not just claiming that he is Messiah the way that the Samaritans or the Jews would have thought of him. He's also claiming that he is the great I am. Jesus is stating that he is divine, that he is God. And this is the climax of the whole chapter because the whole purpose of John's gospel is to show that Jesus is God in human flesh. And what is God the Son doing? He is showing it's not religion that will meet your need. It's a relationship with me that will meet your need. You see, the gospel, it's so beautiful. It's not doing something that will meet the need of your heart. It's meeting me. It's trusting in me. It's a relationship with me that will transform you. Can I get an amen? Sometimes it takes appeal after appeal after appeal. It takes reeling and reeling and reeling and reeling until you get that person to this place. But how blessed it is when a person gets to this place in their lives. You see, Jesus continued persevering in evangelism. And here's my third point, and this is where we close. Our Lord encouraged every one of his disciples to live a lifestyle of evangelism. Again, our Lord encouraged every one of his disciples to live a lifestyle of evangelism. Let's look in verse 27. <clears throat> Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water pot, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, all of them, right, came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, verse 31, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. In verse 33, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now picture the scenario. Jesus has just revealed who he is to this woman. And she goes back to tell the whole town what she's experienced. And so the whole Samaritan village is coming out to meet Jesus. And here Jesus knows that they're coming. He's excited about this. He's preparing himself for this. Now the disciples come back from their food run and they're intent on feeding Jesus. And Jesus uses a mashal, a veiled saying. He says, I have food coming. And the disciples ask, as they look at each other, could someone have brought him food? You see, at first glance, we acknowledge the concern the disciples had for Jesus. They want to make sure their, their Lord was fed. But here, John the writer is getting to something deeper. He's getting to the point of this whole story. And the point is, the disciples never saw the Samaritan woman. Now, sure, they physically saw her. The Bible says they were surprised to see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman. But what I'm saying is, they never saw her as a potential for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus has been sharing with his disciples that the kingdom has come. And the kingdom was what God was most concerned with. God was ushering people into his kingdom. And Jesus' whole ministry was about bringing people into the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And yet it doesn't occur to them that this woman could be one of those people for the kingdom. Now, why is that? Why did the disciples miss her? Why is it that they couldn't see her? I want you to know the disciples' mindset. They were all mostly Galilean fishermen. And most of them were all good upstanding Jews, except for Matthew, right? He wasn't. But where do all the good Jews go? They go to synagogue. 
And who teaches at the synagogue? The Pharisees. And what did the Pharisees teach in these synagogues? They taught that godly Jews were God's chosen people. And godly Jews should only hang out with godly Jews. They should uh, form a chosen people bubble. And they taught to save your faith for others who are in this bubble. Because when you're in the bubble, you're in good. You're given godly resources. You're taught God's word. They offer wonderful programs for you and your children to strengthen your faith. The bubble is a good place to, uh, to be. So do as much mingling only with others in this bubble. Because you don't want to get contaminated with the filth of this world. And when you go out into the marketplace, into the filth, whether you have to work, whether you have a business, keep your faith to yourself until you get back in the bubble. So what happens when you live this way? You keep your personal life disconnected with your life in the world. With this kind of mindset, no wonder they didn't see this woman. They didn't see her for God's coming kingdom. They didn't even think that she would be allowed in the kingdom, that she'd accept the kingdom. The bottom line is they didn't think it a priority to expend the energy. And I want you to notice Jesus' mindset. It was radically different from these disciples. Verse 34, look at it. It says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, go out and get them. Open your eyes. I want you to see everyone as a potential. Tax collectors and prostitutes and Samaritans and Gentiles, everyone for the kingdom because they are all a harvest field ready to enter the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? So the disciples, the disciples thought it was not a priority to expend the energy. What Jesus was saying is spend the priority of your life and the majority of your time in the harvest field. And I want to say this, uh, Renew Church, evangelism is still the reason, is uh, the reason that we are still on this earth. You know, we could worship better in heaven. The worship team does a great job, right? But who would you rather hear, them or Gabriel and the angels, right? I, I don't mean to diss you guys. You guys are awesome. But of course, it's a no-brainer. We could study God's word better in heaven. Who would you rather hear, me or Jesus? Right, Jesus, no-brainer. We could do church better in heaven because we will be glorified. We won't have sin on us anymore. We'll be able to use our spiritual gifts. We'll be able to serve God better. So why are we still on this earth? Because there's one thing that we can't do in heaven and we can still do on this earth. We have a great commission to perform. We have a calling to reach men and women with the gospel. And so my prayer to you this morning is that the Lord would speak to your heart and motivate you once again to break bubbles, right? to burst bubbles, excuse me, to break barriers and to live our lives uh, in accordance with God's great commission. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the foundation of our faith. And we ask that as we appreciate the gospel, as we embrace the gospel, that we would live out the gospel 
in its great commission. We ask that you would give us the courage to go out and to share with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, Helping Kids Bridge Their Faith with God's Calling in Their Life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.